Uh, as Bruce mentioned, my name is Spencer Meisner. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here uh, at Forest Grove. And I was going to make a really cool joke about feeling like a Backstreet Boy with this microphone on. Um, but now it doesn't work. So that's okay. Um, I'm really excited to be here with you guys today, uh, sharing uh, from God's Word. Um, and, and I feel like I have a little bit of a unique perspective working with youth and young adults for pretty much my whole life. Ever since I was probably uh, 12 or 13 years old, uh, I tried to get on staff at the camp I was working at at Dallas Valley, which is just a little bit north of Regina where I grew up. Um, they said no, waited, till, waited for a couple of years, and I've been working with youth for a long time. Uh, and so I, I, I want to I share this morning about uh, information and teaching and, and prophecies and this kind of stuff. And I think that in the situation we're in, with the age that we're in, the society, generation, however you want to put it, information comes at us from every angle at all times. Uh, everyone in this room, probably everyone in this room, will have information coming through email. You'll get emails to your phone, to your computer at home, at work. You'll text. You'll get, you know, a certain number of texts a day. You've got information coming in that way. A lot of us use Facebook. Uh, a lot of us, some of us will use Twitter, which is information in 140 characters. Uh, this part of the room will use Snapchat, uh, which is about 10 seconds of information at once. Uh, we have books. We have audio books. We have podcasts. We have sermon audio. We have sermon in video form. We have YouTube videos that are reactions to news happening. We have news stations that have five editions of the news during the day. We have CNN, which is 24-hour news. We have... Um, top 10 lists on, on BuzzFeed. We have TED Talks. And for every single one of those, it seems like we have a Christian version of that as well. So as Christians, we kind of have double the information coming our way. Uh, and as we're continuing our series on 1 John, we're in 1 John 4. Uh, so if you want to flip there, you go right ahead. We're talking about alignment. Uh, and John speaks to the idea that there's information that comes our way that we actually have to filter. We have to discern information that comes at us. And we have to do this within love. And so last week, Bruce was speaking on love and action. Next week, Kevin will be speaking about how God is love, and I get false teachers right in the middle of that. Now, there is a link between those. We, we like, uh, as a staff, we were talking about this, and we really believe that the idea of discerning false teachers, false prophecy, false information is to be done as a church body and is to be done to edify the body to make things for the church go well. This is to be done in love. And so 1 John 4, uh, chapters 1, or sorry, 1 John 4, verses 1 to 6, uh, go like this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as they are from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we want to break this down verse by verse. Verse 1, very simple. 
don't do this, do this instead. Pretty straightforward, right? Telling us, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And what this tells us is there's multiple spirits or teachers, or uh, depending on your translation, we'll, we'll, we'll go with teachers this morning. We'll go with spirits and teachers. There's different teachers and spirits in the world, not just one, not two. It seems as though there's many, and it shows that also some of them are wrong. If we're not supposed to believe all of them, then that means some of them are incorrect. Um, and we are supposed to be discerning and testing this. This is what John calls us to. If your question is why, John speaks to that as well, because false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is an issue. There are false teachers and false prophets out there, and we are to discern what is right and what is not. Verses 2 and 3 tells us how we know something is from God. So if your next question is, how do we know this? Verses 2 and 3 speak to that. Saying, by this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So John separates these into two categories. True and not true. Pretty self-explanatory, except it's, it's good to note that not true also includes sometimes true, kind of true, almost true, and completely false. All of those would be in the second half of the not true side. There's two distinctions here. John is saying it's either from God or it's wrong. <laughs> it's either from God or it's not from God and it's wrong. Jesus tells us that he is the truth in John 14. This is the same John who's writing this gospel. Jesus tells us that he is the truth. So therefore, if there's something true to be said and to be taught, it should be from the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit in us. Now, if you want to ask about what is the spirit of the Antichrist, well, that's a little bit detailed, a little bit heavy to work through. Um, but as Bruce spoke on last week um, in 1 John 2, or a couple weeks ago, um, John is speaking of people who were anti-Christ and who had put divisions in the church and left the church. And this is probably stemming from one specific issue. Uh, and so let me take you on a little bit of a, of a history tour at this point. So John's people at this time were about 93 AD, some 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So at this point, they don't have the Gospels. They don't have the New Testament. They don't have the Nicene Creed. They don't have the other creeds that were written to, to correct people's theology. They don't have an MB declaration of faith. They don't have a statement of faith to kind of point them in the right direction. So at this point, what they have is people who were there and walked with Jesus, writing letters and teaching people about the way, about Christianity. And so, without this, kind of, uh, without this kind of funnel to bring all their theology into correctness, there was lots of false teaching. There was different sects of Christianity that were popping up. One of the big ones that John was dealing with at his point was Gnosticism. I don't expect you to know what that is. I barely understand it. Gnosticism, though, is the idea that the material world, anything physical, anything that is not spiritual, is evil. And so there was Christians that were claiming to be Christ followers who were Gnostics, who believed anything physical was bad. The pew you're sitting on is evil. Terrible. I like these pews. They're nice and comfortable. But the Gnostics would have believed these things were evil and bad. So they shunned the material world, which they viewed as created by a demiurge, and they embraced the spiritual world. So it's a little bit philosophical. The heretical differences that would exist between 
mainline Christianity and Gnosticism would be the fact that the belief that all matter is evil and the body is actually a prison to escape from, something they believed in. Scripture has a deep, hidden message whose true meaning can only be understood through secret wisdom. And Jesus was actually a spirit that seemed to be human, leading to a rejection of the incarnation. So they believe that Jesus wasn't truly a physical man, because how could, if they believe that all material world was evil, how could the perfect holy savior of the world come in a physical body? So you can see why there was division in the church. This is something that John's dealing with, uh, and this is a pretty, pretty hard line where he says, any spirit that confesses that Jesus did not come as a physical man is not from God. And we see this in a few different places, actually. A couple weeks ago, Harry preached on 1 John 1 when we started this series. 1 John 1 speaks to the idea that Jesus actually was a physical person. John says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard... We proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So you see some pretty obvious pointing towards the fact that Jesus was a true human being. In John 20, we have the story of Thomas touching the wounds of Jesus post-resurrection. That's the only gospel that mentions that. John makes a pretty hard point of pointing out that Jesus was actually a physical person. He goes out of his way to make this known to the believers because he wants them to know that this is the right way of learning. In John's context, there was those two prevailing schools of thoughts, that Jesus was a physical man or he was not. And so you can see where this this urge to discern false teaching comes from in John because he wants people to know that there's people in their midst and people who are teaching them incorrect theology, not only that, but an incorrect gospel. So he wants to tell them to discern these because, not because he wants these people to be shown as wrong, but because he wants to edify the body and to grow the body in unity. Uh, as I mentioned before as well, First John 2, as, as Bruce talked about, that's what the issue was, that people were leaving the church because they weren't truly f- of the same beliefs. These people were Gnostics and were trying to lead people astray. And so John's idea is to grow the church in unity in doing that. Now, maybe that feels a little bit bleak to you. Uh, there's probably maybe not the most uplifting part of a, of a sermon you've ever heard in your life. Uh, but verse 4 gives us some more hope. Uh, verse 4 says, You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, I'm sure that's a verse that many of you heard, maybe have memorized as well. Um, This is a good verse to know, that he who is in us is is greater than the one that's in the world. And that's important here in this context because we can discern false teachers and false spirits based on the fact that we belong to God. So John says we are of God and we are children of God. Galatians 3 speaks to this as well. And as children of God, we get to share in the victory of Jesus overcoming death. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Romans 8 tells us that we are more than, conqueror, more than conquerors based on the fact that God loves us and takes us in as his part of his family. John 16 again says, Jesus is saying that it's better that he leaves the world. Jesus says it's better that he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come to us. So we have the idea that we, we share in this victory with Christ, and we have the Spirit in us. And Jesus is saying it's better that Jesus is gone because then the Spirit can come and live inside of us. So greater is he who is in us. An overcomer, the Holy Spirit, is in us. And greater is he than who is in the world. John then goes on to give us some more helpful information in verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. One of the commentaries I was reading gave a really, a really good quote on this. Uh, if false prophecies originate with an ungodly spirit, these utterances will find a ready reception in the world. On the other hand, it is the response of the church, the community of true believers that can test the veracity of a word from the Lord, a word from the Lord. So essentially what it's saying is that a spirit or a teacher that is from the world and not filled with God's spirit is going to speak things that will benefit the world, right? And a spirit who is, uh, or a teacher who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is speaking on behalf of the kingdom, will say things and teach things that will benefit the kingdom. Does that make it a bit more clear, what this, what this commentary is saying and what John's saying in verses 5 and 6? Anyone who's from the world speaks to the world's benefit. Anyone who is from the kingdom, who has God's spirit in them, speaks to the kingdom's benefit and to God's glory. So now that we understand, maybe, maybe, maybe I've made it a little bit more unclear to you, what, uh, what John's speaking of in this sense. We understand John's context. We understand where he's coming from. We now have to figure out how this applies to us. Now, I hope that none of you are sitting in the midst of a false teacher this morning, because that would probably be me at this point. So I hope that you don't have to deal with this at this very moment. But based on the fact that we do have tons of information coming at us from every angle, whether it's Christian or not, these things actually matter to us. And we actually have to be vetting these things to understand what, what is from the Spirit. Our spiritual landscape now is probably just as confusing as it was in John's time. Yeah, yeah John didn't have... As, as I mentioned, he didn't have the Gospels, he didn't have the creeds, he didn't have these statements of faith, which we do, but we also face some really crazy spiritual questions on our own lives, right? It seems like every pastor has a blog and an opinion on some issue that's going on in the world, the latest news story. And our friends will share it with us and we'll read it and we'll go, well, as a Christian, I guess I have to believe this, and we'll move on with our day. When in reality... Not saying that these pastors are false teachers, but we actually have to discern against Scripture what these things actually mean for us as followers of Christ. And as the church, we are actually called to be custodians of the truth. I don't mean sweeping it. I mean presenting it in a way that's good. Keeping it and preserving it and presenting it in a way that is good for the rest of the world. We are God's representatives on earth. Right? That's what we are. We have the Spirit in us. We are, are supposed to be modeling ourselves after Christ. We are the ones who, who get to exemplify God to the world. And so we have to know the truth well. 
And uh, there's going to be plenty of hard times and hard discussions and issues that come up uh, within our lives that we actually have to deal with. Uh, so for one example, um, a few, few months ago, I guess it was probably six months or more, uh, a bunch of the MB churches got together uh, in Winnipeg and talked, and we had this thing called the Human Sexuality Conference. We wanted to talk about issues that were facing Canada today. Two years ago, they had another one of these conferences. Both these conferences are focused on Scripture. The first one focused on discerning what, as Christians, we believe about sexuality and everything that comes with that. The second one is, with that assumed, with this foundation of biblical knowledge, where do we go? Where do we go from here? How does this affect our churches, our local churches, our small groups, our ministry teams? And so as MB churches, there was delegates from a a ton of churches out there. People from our congregation went as well. As a, con- as a, a conference, we were sitting down together, reading scripture, hearing from teachers, praying, listening, trying to discern what God had for us in these issues, in the issues of sexuality as a whole, what this meant for us. I think this is a really good representation of what discerning false teachers might look like. Now, it's in a different sense, right? We're not discerning a false teacher specifically as a conference, but we're figuring out what we believe biblically about a serious issue in the world right now, something that confounds people from every age demographic. This is a chance for us as Christians to sit around, talk about these issues with the intent of edifying the body and growing the local church stronger together. Dramatic pause. So now, if we understand that we are supposed to do this, how do we do it? What do we have to lean on at this point? I think there's three main things that we should be focusing on as Christians about how to do this well. The first one is the Bible. Pretty simple. I think that we as Christians have the Word of God in front of us. Lots of us have it on our phones, in leather-bound books, in our hearts, in our minds, whatever it may be. Some of us have it tattooed on us. Some of us, sorry, we need to understand the Bible well. We need to hold up issues and teachers that, that come our way, information, whether it's sermons or whatever. We need to hold these things up against Scripture, first and foremost. Second Timothy 3 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So clearly the Bible's a good place to start. Second Peter tells us, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. So the Scripture that we have in front of us as it says here, is the prophecies and the the teachings that are there are not just human interpretation. Okay, these are actual words from God, yes, translated into other languages, but these are actually words from God to us. So this is where we need to start. We need to start with Scripture when we're trying to figure out what's going on in our world and how it affects us. That needs to be our number one. That needs to be our foundation. That needs to be our reference point for what God wants and desires for us to do. The second point is the life of Jesus. 
Christians means little Christs. And so we are supposed to be models of this perfect human being that lived however many years ago. And we, we have to do this well in order to, in order to understand how to discern teachings that come our way. Track with me here. This is, a little bit off, this is a little bit off the grid here. Let's say you're an Elvis impersonator. Okay? You have probably never met Elvis in your life, right? You probably have never seen him face-to-face, talked to him. So if you want to be a good Elvis impersonator and you want to go to Vegas and do your whole show, you will study the heck out of Elvis. You will watch all of his videos. You will watch interviews of his. You will listen to all of his music to understand Elvis, to know when to move your hips, to know when to sing, to know when to snarl, to know when to say thank you very much. You will want to know how to be like Elvis for other people to think that you're as close to him as they could possibly get in this lifetime. Another example, if you're a hockey player and you want to model your life after Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or Bobby Orr or Wayne Gretzky, I know we have lots of age groups in here. I don't know if I can go farther than Bobby Orr. Stan Makita? See you guy back then? Um, if you want to model yourself after a player, we'll go with Crosby just because it's an easy one to think of. If you want to model your hockey after Sidney Crosby, you'll probably never meet him or talk to him in person to get tips from him. So what do you do? You watch tape. You watch interviews. You study the way he skates. You study his reactions to understand that when you're on the ice and you want to make a Sidney Crosby decision that you will know Sidney Crosby inside and out so that you can make that same reaction to model, your, model yourself after him. Now, as cheesy as those WWJD bracelets were back in the 90s and 2000s, they actually make a ton of sense, right? We actually should be thinking of every situation that comes our way and saying, what would Jesus do? What would he do if he was here right now? What would his reaction be to this situation I'm in? We need to study Jesus as much as we can. There's no tape of him. There's no footage of him. There's no music sung by him. But we need to study Jesus as closely as we can to understand his reactions, to understand his desire, to understand his heart, in order to act that out as Spencer Meisner today. I need to know Jesus so well That when someone comes to me and asks me a question, I want to answer how I think Jesus would answer. And I don't know him well enough to know that. This is a challenge for myself to know Jesus better, to know that when false teachings come my way, how Jesus would react to them. Because if we are to be modeling ourselves after Jesus, we need to know him intimately. The third one is the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit in us. And man, am I ever thankful for that. We have the spirit inside of us that that God sent to us to be a helper, to be an advocate. Those are words that the Bible uses to describe the Holy Spirit. Remember that John 16, Jesus actually says it's better that Jesus leaves the world so the Holy Spirit can come and live in us. So as much as we may not believe that we're better off without Jesus on this earth. I know sometimes I think, man, I wish Jesus was right here in front of me. I'd ask him so many questions. Jesus actually tells us that it's better that he goes so the Spirit can be in us. Because that's a living, active, working thing inside of our bodies, inside of our lives. 
The Spirit is in us again in John 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you and will be in you. 1 John 2 tells us that the Spirit is an anointing from the Holy One. This is a blessing for us to get the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. We have the Spirit inside of us. So when we are approached with false teachings, with prophecies, with information, that's another thing we can lean on is, is asking the Spirit what to do. <laughs> how, do we, how do we actually actively do this well? How do we respond to this well? We know the Spirit intercedes for us. In Romans 8, it says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you catch that last line? He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That means the Holy Spirit knows God's will. Something that we wish we could get a grasp on every single day. The Spirit knows that, and we have the Spirit inside of us. To put two and two together, we should ask the Spirit what God's will is. Right? We have that knowledge right here. We have the Spirit with us who knows the will of God and knows how we should be reacting and how we should be discerning or pushing people out or taking people in. That knowledge is inside of us, and we need to ask the Spirit to be speaking to us more, to know what the will of God is in every situation that comes our way. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's talking to the larger body and saying, don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, church? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Three chapters later, he says to each individual, in, sorry, each individual person, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So not only do we have the Spirit in our midst, in the giant congregation, but we also have him individually, personally, singularly in us as well. So as a church body, it's even our goal to understand these things better, to understand teachings, to understand prophecies, to understand information that comes to us and align ourselves with God's will. There's three very, very big ways to do that. The Bible, the life of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It means we should be asking the Spirit for guidance since he knows the will of God. I have two tattoos. You can see both of them. I put them on the screen as well because maybe it's hard to see. This one here is Saskatchewan. I'm a prairie boy. I will never change my love for this province. I love the wheat fields. Uh, Brittany is from BC, and so she's, this is her first summer experiencing Saskatchewan. And we were driving over Circle Drive the other day, and she looked out towards the U of S and saw the canola fields, right? Saw the bright yellow that was out there, and she was just in awe. Like, <laughs> what is that? It's so yellow. I said, it's a highlighter farm. We have a lot of those here. Uh, so I, I love Saskatchewan. This will always hold a dear place in my heart. The three, the three X's on there are the three cities I've lived in. For, on the far left is Regina. Sorry. I grew up there. I can't change that. 
And then right next to it is Karenport, where I went to school uh, to do a four-year degree in six years. <laughs> and then farther up is Saskatoon, where, where I've called home for, for just over a year now, about a year and a half. This tattoo is important to me. This one's more important to me. This one says, shine through us, shine around us. These are lyrics from a band uh, from Regina. Again, I apologize. They're called Means. I don't expect any of you to know who they are. Maybe Brady does. That's about it. Uh, so they're a band that meant a lot to me, and their lyrics mean even more to me because this is the idea that, that I want God to shine through me so that people know God through what I do, and I want the Spirit to shine around me so I know where to go. I want the Spirit to shine around me to illuminate my path so I know what to do next. This is a reminder to myself, and I pray that for all of us, that the Spirit shines around us so that we know what's going on around us and we know how to move in the will of God. These are three major points for us to understand false teachings, to discern teachers, to discern information that comes our way. We have the Bible, we have the life of Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. All those things are so close to us, and we need to be understanding them as a body to unify the body, and to move towards being more like Jesus and understanding the will of God. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I'm going to pray for us. I feel like this is a lot to take in. I feel like we need help as people, as human beings. We need guidance. So let, let, me, let me pray for us here. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your challenging word for us. Um, thank you that you love us, God, and that you want us to be doing these things in love. But God, I just pray that as people, we would lean on these three, these three aspects that you've given us, God. You've given us scripture. You've given us your word. You've given us the life of Jesus to model ourselves after. And you've given us your Holy Spirit inside of us, God. Help us to, to discern well as a body, as small groups, as ministry teams, as a staff team, as a family. Lord, help us to, to do this well for your glory. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.